This episode of the Series A podcast is brought to you by the Blockchain Founders Fund. The Blockchain Founders Fund is a global entrepreneurship and investment fund that focuses on adding value to emerging technology and blockchain projects with real-world applications. The Blockchain Founders Fund supports seasoned and first-time entrepreneurs across the key business function with a hands-on intensive go-to-market venture program. Our second sponsor is SGI Partners based in New York City. SGI Partners is a private investment firm that pursues compelling investment opportunities in middle market businesses. SGI has a flexible mandate to invest across the capital structure in control-oriented investments, ranging from strategic financing to buyouts, allowing us to implement innovative investment strategies that preserve invested capital and mitigate risk while driving growth and creating value. As an, inv- as an advisor to SGI partners, I help identify investment targets in my geographical area. Now on to this fantastic new episode. So today I have the pleasure to be talking with Zach Mead and uh, Zach is a blockchain developer at Penta Network and uh, he's based in uh, Fargo uh, where the famous movie was uh, filmed. So uh, Zach, uh, good morning and uh, welcome to the Series A podcast. Uh, how are you good doing morning. this morning? Good morning, George. Thank you very much for having me. I'm doing great. Thank you. I really appreciate so, it. So nice uh, let's uh, start by discussing a little bit uh, today's volatility in the market. Uh, uh, the previous hours, it uh, nosedived uh, approximately 14%, and that translates to approximately uh, 350 billion USD. So uh, what's happening? Um, I I don't know exactly. I wasn't super enthusiastic to see that when I woke up, but um, yeah, I'm not really sure. I think it's just... um, I don't know, stretching a little bit, you know, Bitcoin's been climbing for the last couple of weeks and um, same with Ethereum, but yeah, I wasn't I'm holding a little bit of Ethereum, so I wasn't super happy, but I'm not too worried. I think it's just stretching out a little bit. Yeah, so it might kind be of. like a normal uh, correction. Um, right, but right. Uh, so uh, what's going on with Solana, if you know, uh, it has a, a very, uh, a very high uh, increase in its price lately right yeah i saw that um last night something like twenty-two thousand percent over the last few weeks and um yeah of course i'm not glad that i sold my positions in solana a couple of months ago i wish i would have held on to those but um yeah i'm not sure i think people are realizing the you know the potential for it and the speed is just you know amazing so I think I think people are finally starting to realize um, what it can do. Yeah. So it's it's good to see. Yeah, I'm glad people are recognizing the potential. And uh, okay, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, general blockchain adoption, and uh, or maybe we can uh, start with NFTs. So uh, sure. What do you think about the NFTs? Are they going to enter our lives in uh, in the business world also, or is it just for uh, fun and games? Oh, no, I don't think it's fun and games at all. I think, yeah, the collection, the collection aspect is huge. Um, you know, it opens the opens the doors to art collectors to get into different markets that they wouldn't have had access to otherwise. Um, but on top of that, I mean, 
you can basically make anything in NFT if you want, you know, um, a contract, some kind of legally binding contract or a certificate, or like say a nursing degree or, you know, medical degrees, driver's license, anything that needs, you know, like um, perpetual existence and, you know, provability. I think, it, I think it has, you know, use cases that we haven't even thought of yet. So I think, um, you know, I was thinking about that a little, a little bit this morning too, like maybe court cases could be NFTs or, or like, you know, historic, historic documents, things like that. Like anything that, um, anything that's kind of collectible or even not collectible items like contracts, right? Like um, just anything stamped on a blockchain that, that you want to keep forever and that can, you know, show, show ownership or show, you know, any kind of like transaction. It's going to be, it's going to be, I think <laughs> we're going to see it in areas where we're not expecting like medical fields and, you know, finance and insurance stuff like that. Uh, instead of, you know, just contracts that are docu-signed or whatever, you're going to have some kind of, you know, blockchain hashed um, contract that's, that's going to live forever. And it's going to be, you know, searchable by people, you know, like maybe, or, you know, like I'm not a big proponent of like uh, COVID passports and whatnot, just personally, but I can see some kind of adoption there where, where countries might, you know, require you to have your COVID passport on a blockchain. So it's, you know, it's provable, it's immutable and they can verify it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I can see, you know, a COVID passport being an NFT just to, you know, um, just to show ownership. Right. How about the passport? Sure. I mean, um, and these are things that, you know, like, um, uh, you know, people have been thinking about, you know, like the book 1984, right? Um, a, you know, the digitalization of our identities. Um, a passport could definitely be, be a use case, right? And I can see countries wanting to use, you know, use that technology for um, for traceability, right? Because passport fraud isn't huge, but it's, um, it's definitely doable in today's age. It's getting harder and harder with the technology, but blockchains would just, uh, you know, add one more layer to that. Um, let's get the, uh, how, how an NFT works, like from the start, uh, and uh, where does it end up uh, being traded? Is it, uh, of course, there's a platform called OpenSea, which is getting bigger right. and bigger, but uh, let's get it from the start. Uh, would you uh, program an NFT in say Solidity and then uh, throw it in a blockchain and then trade it somewhere? How does it? How does this whole uh, story works? Sure. So uh, I have some experience actually. You know, minting an NFT on Ethereum, and and when you're when you're minting an NFT or when you're creating one from, from nothing, you're honestly, um, you're, you're hosting the image or the document or the file or whatever you're actually like creating into an NFT somewhere like IPFS or Amazon or wherever the hosting service is. Um, a lot of people are going to AR Weave and other platforms like that. Um, but what you're actually doing is creating a JSON file um, with the metadata of that image or document or whatever and so what, what you actually own is you know just a, basically a text file pointing you to that document or image right so um, because you know storing large amounts of data on blockchains isn't 
uh, isn't ideal right now, right? And so what we do is just create a very small file that's actually stored on the blockchain that points to that image. So uh, at the end of the day, and hopefully, um, hopefully your image or document is going to be stored somewhere that's going to be reliable. You know, you can have reliable access. Um, I know one of my hobby projects is BitClout, right? And so uh, I've been spending a lot of time on there. They recently created an NFT function that, um, you know, allows you to buy and sell trade NFTs off natively on the BitClout platform. And um, storage has been, you know, one of the, one of the leading issues since the beginning, you know, where are we gonna store these images? And the creators honestly have, um, have kind of free reign to store images where they want. A lot of people, not a lot of people, but I've heard of, you know, people just using Dropbox um, to store images and then transfer, you know, physically transferring the file or giving you Dropbox assets. And so the, the, the owner actually has physical custody of the image and they can host wherever they want. I think that's a great idea for, um, you know, for, for custody, right? Because that removes it from, it removes uh, liability or, you know, worry, whatever. If I own, say if I own like a Beeple, right? The $69 million Beeple, I would want that stored somewhere. I don't even know. That would be something kind of else. But like having physical custody or, you know, not, not relying on Amazon to host that image or wherever the hosting service is, right? Because um, if this, that server goes offline, you basically own an empty link, right? And so having that data uh, accessible, I think, is, is super important to, to the actual owner. Um, so you are saying that the storage should be centralized? Um, not, not, not centralized per se, because you can use things like ARWeave and IPFS. But, but yeah, I, I would not want to rely on Amazon to host my, you know, to host the actual files. I wouldn't want to rely on something like that to, to um, you know, store it uh, forever, especially, you know, these NFTs, some of these collectibles are getting so expensive, right? That the, um, you know, the persistence of the data is extremely important because losing something like that would, you know, be, it's hard. And, and I've heard stories, you can read stories online of people, you know, paying a lot of money for NFTs and then the image disappears, the host went down or, Got moved or they removed it you know they removed the link or the files links changed files changed something like that so, so um uh, open c is that the the winner takes all case or um the, no, or, uh, does no it have i don't competitors i think you know kind of like is it the the, fa like, the facebook of uh, right nft sharing yeah, I think I think for the time being, OpenSea is going to you know be kind of the king. There's always going to be, um, you know the the massive players that rise to the top like OpenSea, right? But yeah, there's going to so, be a lot. There's going to be a lot of small niche areas that you know that are hosting on blockchain specific things or focus on one area where they have like a curated, you know, feed of whatever. Uh, you know, they specialize in a genre like an only Japanese kind of thing or something like that. You know what I mean? So like, do you see OpenSea uh, going public like uh, Coinbase did uh, previous year? I know it's not your expertise, um, but. No, I mean, yeah, I can definitely see something like that happening. Um, maybe they, if they would want to stay private, they could. But um, yeah, I think it's, I mean, I don't, we're, we're going through kind of not the, 
second big NFT wave craze, but yeah, maybe the second or third, I think. And like these big, I don't, it's not going to slow down. Right. Especially with more people working from home. um, You know, everyone's kind of moving to a remote space, this digital, uh, you know, this digital economy that the NFTs have created are, I don't, I don't see it slowing down or, um, you know, it's definitely not going to vanish anytime soon. People love art, right? And when you can, when you have those kind of accessibility to markets um, that all these platforms are providing us, it just, you know, you don't have to go into a gallery or a museum and like buy something to appreciate it. You can, you know, the world's your oyster. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, but some people say that it will not be restricted only to art. Uh, for example, right. you, you can sort of like uh, government documents or licenses or all sorts right. of uh, identification documents. Uh, so then it would be out of the uh, art uh, focus. Right, uh, right, yeah. The, right, my friend was talking about JPEGs were selling pretty hot the other day, like JPEG images of... Um, I don't know, like game stats and things like just, you know, yes, yeah. it's, it's pretty much whatever people can think of. So all NFTs are stored on Ethereum or also in other chains. Oh, right, right. Yeah. You can, um, uh, you could make NFTs on pretty much any kind of blockchain. It's not restricted to Ethereum. Right. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of, um, a project that I was involved with a few months ago at the very beginning like ideation stages we were building on algorand right uh, algorand's a really um, efficient economical blockchain for for things like that the transaction speed is just amazing right and so yeah, um, yeah it's not gonna ethereum's gonna be probably the you know the one of the major players for a long time but people are definitely definitely building on other platforms too and uh, what's your opinion on ethereum 2 um, honestly, I don't, it's not really my area of expertise. And um, I know that um, people have been waiting for it for a long time. And it, of course, it does have a lot of promise. I don't think, um, you know, I'm not sure when we're going to see it exactly, but um, it'll be, I don't know, it'll be nice when it actually gets there because, yeah, that's what, um, like, I'm an art collector, but I'm not uh, like a huge NFT collector, right? but I needed to know how everything worked. And so I remember when I was first trying to like purchase an NFT off of OpenSea and stuff, I really wanted this cool little one. It was like 150 bucks, but then the gas fees were like 75 bucks. And I'm like, you know, I just don't want to pay those kind of gas fees. I'm not that interested in this piece of art and I can understand how you would, but I mean, that's expensive. Those kind of gas fees are super expensive. Mm So yeah, 2.0, once I go to proof of stake, that it will help. A lot of things but uh, let me let me ask happens. you let me ask you zach about uh, wallets so um metamask is an online wallet uh, ledger is a hardware wallet at this uh, right. point there is a very small amount of people using wallets uh which uh, i suppose most of the people entering the crypto world they they go to a platform like Coinbase or Binance. Uh, what about in a few years where we will have billions of people using uh, their own wallets? Where do you think, uh, uh, what do, do you think they're going to use? Is it hardware or 
online wallets or are they going to stick with uh, the huge platforms? What's your opinion on that? Okay, so we are back again. Uh, we were talking okay. about wallets. So uh, wallets. do you think hardware or uh, online wallets is the way to go? Um, I mean, hardware wallets are, of course, more secure. Um, they're a little more advanced. So people who are a little deeper into it are going to you know, use those, of course. But uh, I think it's going to be a mix, um, you know, browser extensions, um, online wallets, mobile wallets are going to be huge, right? Like um, I had, for instance, like I had trouble with MetaMask the other week. Uh, I was helping some friends with some transfers and there was a, a UI glitch, right? So on Etherscan, you could see the Ether in my wallet, but MetaMask would not display it, right? And I followed all the troubleshooting steps and it just wasn't working. So I had to use, I had to um, use another platform to basically take that out of the MetaMask account and put it in another wallet so I could see it, so I could transfer it, right? Um, so I wasn't super impressed with that. I mean, it's, of course, MetaMask is, probably you know one of the biggest ones but it's it's going to be a good mix for you know for the foreseeable future so uh tell us about bitcloud that is one of your fun projects as i understand sure so bitcloud is um a decentralized social media network that um allows allows users to uh basically speculate on other users right every every creator has their own creator coin and uh, the coins are created on a bonded curve. So the, the, earlier, um, the earlier coins, the, the beginning coins are cheaper as, as you go up, they get more expensive. So the more coins in existence, the more, uh, the more valuable each coin, uh, you know, the more value each coin holds. So um, it's a pretty small community right now, but it's, been, um, it's only been live for about, six months um i got in in april and that was still really early it's kind of going through um kind of a dip in daily active users right now but like the um you know the hardcore people that are invested in it and that you know that believe in it for the long run are still around which is great because it's you know it's it's creating a very insular not insular but creating a very tight-knit uh group of creators and developers who you know who see promise in this kind of um, social platform i mean you can see it every day it's the you know social capital is one of the biggest investors in the platform and bitcloud isn't a company it's just um it's open source code that anyone can build on and so um the node numbers are you know expanding every day um but but it shows the true potential of social capital because the, the differences between like a BitCloud and a Twitter, it's kind of like a Twitter, it's kind of like an Instagram, but it's different. Um, the, I guess the, the quality of people, like I don't say like the quality of people, but the, um, the character of the people who use it is just, it's night and day from Twitter, whereas Twitter can be like mean and people bully each other. Like there aren't many jerks on BitCloud because it doesn't pay to be nice or it doesn't pay to be, to be a jerk, right? It pays to be nice. So people actually like, treat each other with humility and respect and um, support each other instead of all the, the bullying that I see on Twitter. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's one of the main draws to it for me is just the, the positive community that's created and that, uh, that it attracts, it attracts really positive people who want to build, who want to help each other and build each other up. 
uh, instead of you know tearing each other down. Yeah. So I now that you mentioned Twitter, I heard they are going to allow um, anybody to uh, pay with tokens uh, the content creators. Um, that's right. well kind of similar with uh, what BitCloud does, isn't it? Right. Yeah. There's a there's a tipping feature in BitCloud where you can diamond like you can diamond a post. And they just changed it up where now when you diamond, it sends um, the BitClout currency directly. Whereas before when you diamonded someone, um, so there's like diamond, there's a like feature like on all social media platforms, right? You can like a post, you can like something that someone did but the tipping feature is called diamonding. And it used to send a portion, a fraction of your creator coin to that person. And then they could hold it, they could sell it, they could do whatever they want with it, right? Mm. Um, but now it's just sending straight currency. So yeah, uh, Twitter quickly um, jumped on that bandwagon to compete, right? Um, because when these other, when they see that um, users, you know, flocking to platforms like this where, you know, they can, they monetize their product instead of them being monetized by the platform like Facebook and Twitter does, you're the monetization, right? Whereas on BitCloud, um, your content is your own right yeah. and the 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 percentage of that that you that you want you know the percentage of your founder reward is set by you right so when people buy your coin you can get a percentage of that purchase based on what you set that at and that's a that's a huge part of it too so in bitcloud uh, which is a social network uh, are people mostly talking about uh, cryptocurrencies um, no, not at all. No, cryptocurrencies is a very, um, like cryptocurrency speculation is a very um, niche community on there. Honestly, people really don't talk about trading cryptocurrencies that much. It's more about art, um, society, things that are going on on BitCloud, um, current news. Like if I scroll through a global feed right now, it's, um, it's a lot of art. It's a lot of people sharing um, you know, professional thoughts um, from LinkedIn. There's a lot of LinkedIn people that are moving over to it or a lot of like more prominent people who I've met on LinkedIn who are moving over to the platform. Like Tim Denning just um, joined BitCloud a few weeks ago and he's been very, very active on there and he's doing really well. And so it's really nice to see like active creators embracing a new platform where the paradigm is different, right? He, Tim Denning can post all day on LinkedIn and he might get kickbacks for his posts and likes and stuff. But um, on BitCloud, all that is his, right? Whatever he creates is his. So it's, you know, it's, and it's a different, it's, it's a, it, it's kind of a, not a, I don't want to say a struggle because I'm not a famous person, right? So I don't know what it's like for a Tim Denning who has hundreds of thousands or millions of followers, right? To come to a platform like BitCloud where he has to start over and build that follower base back up, right? So it's, like, I would think that's kind of adventurous or, you know, cool for someone like that to have to kind of start over. But, um, yeah. yeah, I think it's, the potential is huge. There's celebrities joining it every day. That right? sounds amazing. And so, yeah, it's really cool. Um, uh, I know we talk a little bit offline about it. Um, so, BitCloud is uh, like a social network uh, blockchain. But uh, what right. if uh, uh, what if we were to say uh, Spotify to become like uh, a blockchain application, like a competitor to Spotify? How would uh, something like that be um, possible? Well, so I mean, I can see. Um, 
All right, so for instance, one of um, my other projects, I'm working with a local company called Webland and they're, um, they're building, and they're from Fargo, North Dakota. We're just um, in our first kind of investment fundraising round right now, um, hopefully finishing soon. But one of, um, one of the advantages to the Webland platform, which is built on Algorand, is that it's, um, it's built to create more engaged communities. And so one of the features of Webland is also streaming, right? And so say I have a, a stream that I, or I have some, some event or some kind of thing that I wanna promote. And so I, um, I'm, I'm streaming my thing on Webland, but I'm using the Webland token to incentivize people to watch or to join, right? And so I'm paying into Webland. Webland pays the viewers of the streamers to actually watch, right? Mm -hmm. And so going back to the Spotify um, idea, I can see a platform where um, where music is streamed, but the listeners are incentivized by token drops or by right by um, you know say you listen to a whole like say the new Billie Eilish album right say Billie would pay you however many tokens to listen listen to each song and then maybe you could gamify it by if you listen to every um, song in order on the album or if you listen to every song on the album maybe you get a bonus for completing the whole album right and so I can see maybe like new artists maybe the Billie Eilish wouldn't be a great example because she wants to get paid for you know for her listeners right but maybe she's feeling generous and she wants to give back to her listeners so instead of them paying to listen they're getting paid to listen to that album right I can see that kind of a use case or say there's a new there's a new album dropped by an up and coming artist and the record label wants to promote it and so they're going to they're going to tokenize they're going to incentivize the listeners by paying them to listen to it and spreading the word right i can see that kind of a platform being useful yeah and, and you know in, in creating right in, in in creating like a viral effect to to you know get more exposure more quickly right yeah so you mentioned the uh people giving out tokens. So uh, what is this fuzz about uh, airdrops where it seems that uh, everybody and their mother are uh, <laughs> building something and uh, uh, doing an airdrop to, to their supporters or something? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Now. Yep, yep. And that's um, another incentive method to kind of like a growth hack or, you know, speed up um, on BitCloud. The developers are calling it pouring gas on the fire, right? And so to, to reward their early adopters, um, yeah, a lot of platforms are using that airdrop where if you hold so many tokens or you've been active for so long, right, they're going to airdrop you extra tokens to, to reward your participation and loyalty, right? So I think that's, um, it, it, it should be. It doesn't, a, it doesn't cost them anything to do the airdrop. Well, well, no, it does. It's well for like a platform like um, BitCloud where, the um, the number of BitCloud ever going to be minted is half of that of Bitcoin, right? And so if the developers wanted to say go in and um, you know if the developers wanted to go in and airdrop uh, you know BitCloud fractions to every active user, say every active user since whatever date from whatever date, if they wanted to go in an airdrop to like incentivize or to reward you know, early adoption, 
um, because they see like some kind of a, you know, a ramp up, right? Like the, the community would be eternally grateful for that, right? And that would be a, a good way to stimulate or pour gas on the fire because all the big cloud, they, well, not all the big cloud, right? But, uh, you know, a large majority of the big cloud that they airdrop is going to be reinvested in the community. And so it could be used as a, you know, as a way to, to spur growth and to, you know, to maintain interest, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I think it's a huge, it should be a huge part of uh, a lot of marketing campaigns. And I think it's a really good, it's a really good like show of faith from the developers, the platforms to their users, right? Yeah, it could be transformational. Um, yep. Tell us a little bit uh, how you became a blockchain developer. What do you actually do every day? And uh, sure. what do you guys do at Penta Network? We didn't talk about that. Sure, sure. So yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. Uh, I love Penta so much. So um, Penta Network is, we're a really small um, organization. I think we only have um, six core members, but they're, you know, we're a blockchain startup that develops um, custom blockchains for, um, you know, small to mid-level companies right now, hopefully getting into enterprise stuff eventually, right? But we, um, most of the projects so far have been focused on supply chain traceability, um, um, mainly like coffee, cacao, um, cacao from Guatemala. Uh, we have some other projects around the world that are kind of in the works, so I can't talk about them too much. But one of the things we've been, that I've been personally building on lately is uh, we found um, that we kind of placed our faith or our efforts into building on substrate, right? Uh, the polka dot, the Polkadot blockchain is built on um, a blockchain framework called Substrate. And so we've been kind of learning and using that for one of our newer projects. So my day-to-day -day is I'm helping build a custom blockchain for a client that's gonna use it for insurance, finance, um, what other kind of, you know, whatever kind of use cases we can, business use cases we can think of like that. But we've been building a, a blockchain from the ground up using kind of a proprietary um, consensus mechanism to help them, you know, further their business cases. And so uh, that's what, what, that's what I mean. Um, so Substrate's built in the Rust programming language, but um, I guess how I kind of got into it was uh, I graduated from a full stack uh, software engineering academy here in Fargo called uh, the Emerging Digital Academy. They're North Dakota's first um, software engineering academy. So I'm proud to uh, say that I graduated from the third cohort from that. And I've been interested in the blockchain and the crypto space, the web three or the web two space, sorry, the web three space for a long time. And a few years ago, I, um, I dabbled in building some blockchain stuff on Hyperledger, on IBM Hyperledger. And that's kind of the background that Penta had a little bit. And so when I was graduating from this software engineering academy, I went um, I focused my application efforts into blockchain and Web3 companies, right? Um, and I, I luckily found Penta um, in the early stages, right? And uh, I think they hired me, um, you know, for their own reasons. But I think part of it was that I didn't have a strong C++ background because Rust is kind of um, it's the successor to C++ in that it's a type-safe language. And uh, it allows for different controls of like very low level programming stuff. Mm -hmm. And so like, I didn't have a strong bias coming in, right? And so I thought they, you know, that 
um, learning from from scratch would be good. And um, like learning is, I was looking for a learning opportunity and I found it in, in Penta because they were just starting this project too. So everyone's learning at the same time. Yeah, it sounds so, fantastic. So you guys are building yep. blockchains for mid-size and uh, large uh, companies. That sounds right, very, yeah. And what, nice. what, right, one of our other offerings is a thing called Penta Privacy Lock and it's focused on helping companies right now in California comply with the uh, California Consumer Privacy Act in that they have to, um, they have to be able to, to show auditors that they complied with the, with the CCPA. And so Prince Privacy Lock allows them to do that um, using blockchain technology to, to authenticate that and, and prove their, you know, prove their, um, they have a lot of requirements, but basically prove that they offered their customers an opportunity to opt out of whatever kind of communications or it's dependent on how many um, users a company has in its database, right? And so the, basically it's um, giving them a way to stay away from getting fined by the state of California for not complying with this act. And okay. so it's another so exciting thing that uh, we're working on. So uh, it's like three verticals, uh, supply chain, FinTech and the uh, insurance slash government. Is that it? Right, right. Okay. Right, yeah, yep. My last question uh, today, Zach, would be on staking. So uh, very high uh, like uh, percentages um, on uh, staking. And um, do you think it's going to be adopted? Of course, once adoption comes, then these uh, percentages are going to be lower. What's your take on uh, staking? Uh, I, th I think staking is really good for, um, you know, for kind of showing long-term interest in a project, right? Or, um, of course, it, it's great for security too. And, you know, for scalability, like E2.0, right? Um, of course, the miners, uh, miners have to adapt like everybody else. They're going to find something else to mine eventually. Um, but yeah, staking, I think staking is worthwhile. While I don't, um, you know, focus on it personally, I think it's it's really good for the, the greater... How about for investment purposes? Investment. Sure. Yeah, the returns are pretty low, but um, if you're not, you know, if you're not looking for the volatility that the open market provides, I think staking is a really good, a good way to like um, to hold. You know, it's if you can earn, you know, returns holding something that you wouldn't have, you know, that you wouldn't have realized otherwise. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great way to go. Where do you think the market is going to be by end of year? What's your prediction? Oh man, not investment advice. Oh man, just your. Uh, uh, you know. uh, yeah, definitely don't take this as investment advice. But um, you know, I've from what I've seen the last week, the the path of least resistance is up for a lot of things, um, and you know, absolute scarcity. Uh, is a huge driving factor, right? There are only so many Bitcoin to go around. And, the, you know, the big boys have been moving a lot of money. So, um, and with, with more markets opening up, you know, countries adopting Bitcoin as a, you know, a legal currency, it's just gonna, you know, the scarcity is gonna keep going down. And so while it's going to afford people, um, you know, um, what do we call unbanked people, right? It's gonna afford unbanked people 
a lot of opportunity. Um, I, I would say the time to get in is now, right? The time, the time to get in is now because what do you mean when not, you say not going to go backwards? When you say unbanked people, what do you mean? Um, so unbanked people are um, people in countries that don't have access to traditional monetary systems like banks and okay. credit unions and yeah, the traditional credit system, right? And so if basically anyone with a smartphone, um, and if you need to, a VPN can can you know access the monetary you know the global crypto world. So uh, it's as a way to you know circumvent government controls and efforts to you know, I don't know keep people poor or whatever. Um, these different crypto platforms like BitCloud, anyone in the world can access BitCloud, create an NFT. I can be sitting in a jungle somewhere and create an NFT if I have um, internet access and I can sell my art to people who I wouldn't have you know, been able to meet otherwise. And I can make money for my family in a market that was previously absolutely inaccessible, right? Okay. So, so this has been a fantastic conversation, Zach. Thank you very much for all your insights in the blockchain and uh, we'll keep in touch. See you later. Of course. Awesome. Thank you, George. Yeah, it's been really great. Thank you again.